0: What's up, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers. I am one of your hosts, George Taron, alongside the man, the myth, the very dapper, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir?
1: I'm fine, Danny. You uh, probably, I, I've got some messing around in the backgrounds, as people might notice here, which I am now going to turn off because it's actually a little distracting. Don't know what you're talking um, about. You've never looked healthier. Yes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, it's probably be could be the last show we do in this room, or well, I do in this room anyway. So yeah, I'm moving next week, so uh, mm-hmm. you have you all have an exciting new background to look at as of um, as of then. Hopefully, fingers <laughs> crossed. If I can get into my new house, which has been a proven a problem before now, <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, the long journey home, shall we say? See, so, well, I mean, my car is a suitable place to shoot to do a show from, I suppose. I mean. I could join the scores of Australians sleeping in their cars right now. <laughs> yeah, illegal <Political> yes. comment. <laughs> I think you have got a, a stacked show this week.
0: Yeah, we've uh, we've uh, actually uh, we we got the the epic chain movie of the week, Care of Me, with mutiny on the Bounty um we've got talk of the finale for the current season of boys travis checked out thor love and thunder i checked out the new sea beast on netflix um we have got episode six ladies and gentlemen of the hit new show of the season that everyone is talking about the trek respected that's right the undiscovered country um as well as the new um prime show the terminal list starring one christopher pratt I didn't even
1: know what Sea Beast is. I had to look that up.
0: Well, you're just not on the cutting edge like I am. So. Uh,
1: <laughs> I don't know. Is it for children? <laughs> hey, it's got Carl Urban's voice in it. It doesn't mean it's not for children. Um, anyway, it's it looks like will we, hear, it? We, will hear your, we will hear your thoughts about that in time. Should we get yes. started on just the,
0: the, uh, the bounty? You and
1: um, you're correct to call this epic because mm-hmm. it is if it's a word to sum up. Mutiny and the Bounty, 1962, by the way, not 1935 version. It is a no, yes. um Yeah, it so is. very
0: hours, ladies and gentlemen, with the overture at the start and an interlude. So this is classic golden age Hollywood movie, Oscar-bait movie, shall we say.
1: It's interesting, isn't it? Because it was nominated for seven Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't believe it won any of them. It was nominated My for Best God. Picture, Best Cinematography, Art direction, editing, special effects, original song, and score. Um,
0: Three wins for something. No, well, no Oscars. No Oscars, but uh, uh, I won uh, the International Film Music Critics Award.
1: Well, wow, what and what a prestigious Three award wins. that is! People say that was people, from two thousand
0: five as well.
1: <laughs> people work um, work their whole lives to get that one. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. How does a film from nineteen sixty two win? Oh, it's the best. New release, re-release, or re-recording of an existing score. There Jesus we go. Christ, that's obscure. okay. Yep.
2: Um, it
0: also won uh, laurels um, for top song for the song "Love Song," um, and uh, best sound editing for the Motion Picture Sound Editors Awards.
1: It's a, it's a stretch.
0: Yeah. So um, let's say that didn't didn't do too well in the public's eye of awards, shall we say?
1: Uh, so, for those who don't know the story, I mean, mm-hmm. Jesus, it's one of the most famous true stories of all time. I would have thought most yeah. people would not, but hey, uh, in 1787, British ship Bounty leaves Portsmouth to bring a cargo of breadfruit from Tahiti. But the savage onboard conditions imposed by Captain Bly trigger a mutiny led by Officer Fletcher Christian. Our cast is led by the inimitable Marlon Brando, Fletcher mm-hmm. Christian. We have Trevor Howard playing Captain William Bly. And Richard Harris as Seaman John Mills, and the our link. The only other name in here I'm actually familiar with is our link to last week is mm. Chips Rafferty, who plays one yes. of the sailors, Michael Byrne.
2: Mm-hmm. The
1: other notable um, cast member, I guess, is Tarita, who plays yep. Mamiti, who I think went on to marry uh, Marlon Brando uh-huh. after this film was done, uh, became uh, his third wife, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but she, I uh, imagine, was actually somebody they picked up. Because this is a shot on location in Tahiti. So. And, and this, this is her only film credit. Yeah. So, yeah, she was married to Tamala Brando from 1962 to 1972. They had mm-hmm. two children together. Um, or had two children together. She's, she's still alive. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, wow. And this film is a notorious flop which mm. is apparently rumored to have cost the studio around $10 million or something, which is probably a fair bit of money back in the 60s.
0: Yeah, well, considering this was – they literally built the bounty. They built the ship and sailed it around to the locations. That's, that's expensive shit, ladies and gentlemen. That's so amazing. Can you know, imagine
2: building – Parts of the
0: Caribbean, they, they built them around barges because that was cheaper
1: and quicker. So well, apparently, this was this, the, the bounty from this film was used in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Yeah, which is uh, it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, they must have built it well. <laughs> well, it, it hang around. Uh, it's not, it is no more. So, this was used as the Edinburgh trader in Pirates of the Caribbean Dead Man's Chest. The ship sank in 2012 as part of Hurricane Sandy. We killed a couple of people, which is sad. Sure. Um, but you're right they, they, built, they built it well, it lasted 50 years before it was just yeah. in a um, hurricane.
0: The act of God which can't even stop our show <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've tried, but trust me um, but the other part as you said, it was actually shot on location in Tahiti mm-hmm. where the actual bounty landed mm-hmm. uh, or, or anchored I and mean, then landed these people on um, hundreds of years earlier mm. um, hundreds of Tahitian extras, which yeah, men. It wouldn't have been cheap mm-hmm. um but i think the other i guess the real big expense here is one marlon brando who uh mm-hmm. started to really acquire his reputation of being extremely difficult to work with on this film he didn't get along with his co-stars mm-hmm. he didn't get along with your, along with the original director carol reed mm-hmm. who was later replaced by lewis milestone mm-hmm. who apparently um, brando wouldn't allow to actually direct so he, he would just direct himself so Apparently he would just sleep on set and collect his paycheck. Um, wow. Quarter of a quarter of a million dollars, which again, wouldn't have been um, loose change. In no.
0: I mean, even um, today I'd be happy to earn quarter of a million dollars for sleeping in <laughs> the
1: Yeah. It could be worse, right? Um, and the same sort of thing, parent Carol Reed tried to quit, but they said, no, 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 you have to stay ended up firing him. So but because they fired him, they had to pay him. Whereas if he quit, he would have got nothing. Um, so from the business perspective, the people uh, running the show on this, just mm-hmm. basically let Brando get along with whatever he wanted to. He'd turn up late. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't, He apparently at one point he put cotton in his ears. So he's, he couldn't hear his co-stars. He would move their marks just to fuck with them. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, the <laughs> he was an absolute shithead on this film. And you can go through the trivia. He is, um, uh, so according to, Peter Mounso's Brando biography. Brando had so much clout by this point in time, but he got MGM to greenlight virtually every outrageous idea he had. At one point, he pulled people off the film crew to decorate and design a friend's wedding in Tahiti. Another time, he had airplanes filled with cases of champagne, turkey, and hands flown to Tahiti for parties. He would improvise his alliance with Trevor Howard, making it possible for his co-star to pick up his cues. Um, You know, there are endless examples of this you know, and in the trivia section here on IMDb uh, of um, just Brando being a complete prick to work with. Wow. Um, which kind of, he has a reputation for it now, but I think this is maybe where yeah. it started to come from. Yeah. Um, that said, the film looks tremendous. Oh, it's like, stunning. That even today, um, yeah. I watched a copy I got from Microsoft. Mm -hmm. video store, so i mean i don't know very different versions kicking around i don't even mind had the interlude so i don't know um but it pops with color the colors Mm -hmm. are spectacular even Mm -hmm. 60 years later it's incredible to look at those location shoots in tahiti they paid off in terms of visuals because it looks gorgeous it makes me almost want to visit tahiti and i'm really not the kind of guy who would enjoy Tahiti. Like it drives me to yeah. sit on the beach or by the pool with a drink kind of holiday. Yeah. And that's not really my jam, but it made me want to go. I can see what it made me actually feel like I can actually appreciate how some of those British sailors must have felt
2: in the mm. late
1: 18th centuries so that you've been on sea for I don't know what a year to get there. Yeah. And cold you've been there. You've been there a little bit I believe a couple of times. It's cold depressing England. Um I'm not surprised. see the the sun twice a year
0: Um, (laughs) it's a special event everyone smiles for two whole minutes
1: so i recall reading a story this week they might have a day of 43 this week in some parts of the uk and i'm like wow Yes, that's, that's, that's when yeah. people,
0: it, um, it it is part of the tradition of English summer, where everyone turns on their ovens and opens the door, and lets the wind come through the house, it just gets that, that temperature up a little bit so that people can do this thing that is very rare in the UK, sweat.
1: Well, it, 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 43 is pretty bad here, and yeah. we're a country. In the there is a
0: big difference of temperature, what what one temperature is to another, like six degrees here. Like we had today, every person that I spoke to today was like, "Oh, it's fucking cold." Oh, I don't like it. Um, back in the UK, it's so like, "Oh, it's a bit nippy."
1: <laughs> I guess for us at the top end, like, yeah, you know, forty-three to thirty-seven, you can kind of deal with it, and you've got houses that are kind of built for it somewhat. Yeah, You're more likely to find a house of aircon here, I think, than the UK.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. So,
1: anyway, that's another story. But I think the actual true story. I mean, I should note also. So this is a real thing that happened, by the way, in case you didn't know. Mutiny yes. Danny, true story, Clutch Christian, mm-hmm. all these things actually happened. Mm. If you're not familiar with the story, maybe read it on Wikipedia or something, do not base your knowledge of the actual events on this film because they are wildly inaccurate. Yes. Braveheart level inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story is a lot of these sailors landed in Tahiti. The women on Tahiti were more comedy, than perhaps British women. Um, and, you know, it was a gorgeous country, as you can see from the film.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: They didn't really want to go back to England. Yeah. So, uh, you know, um, being dragged back to dragged back uh, along the way to, to England by, um, by Captain William Bly was not a popular choice for a lot of the sailors. Mm-hmm. And seeing the actual locations and how gorgeous they are actually worked for me in a sense So I actually kind of think, well, I guess I can kind of see why. Yeah,
0: that's that's one of the things that this movie really does well. And it uses that three-hour runtime quite well to get you into that feeling of being a part of this crew and feeling the length of the journey. I mean, I don't know whether that was intentional or accidental or a little bit of both, <laughs> um, but you do kind of... It gives them the... having that long runtime... It gives you more time to be on the ship and see the almost paint by numbers villainy of william Blythe as presented in the movie um and you start feeling like oh he's a, he's a he's a fucking horrible man and then um he's he's cold he's he doesn't care about anything except that bottom line um and then having this this beauty and this effervescent freedom of that tahiti represents to them and to anyone like tahiti is is a name that when you say that you kind of everyone has this image in their heads of these beautiful beaches and palm trees and everything it is heaven on earth for lack of a better descriptor so yeah when he starts being a cunt on the way back almost instantly it's like yeah, I I, I can empathise with them. <laughs>
1: uh, the, the as again, it's wildly inaccurate. The Bly yeah. in the film has very little relation to the actual William Bly. William mm-hmm. Bly was a lot younger mm-hmm. um, than uh, the actor playing. Was it Terence Howard? Beginning it Trevor Howard. Sorry, trevor Howard. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been anything. Um, trevor <laughs> Howard. Much, that much, would yeah. have been really unique to have a captain
0: <laughs> in the British Navy that was a black man
1: that's rather be a revolutionary film mm. uh, but yeah, you know, he wasn't you know he, he's not out there whipping he wasn't mm. the kind of captain who went out you know lashing uh, crew members and such mm. apparently he was actually less likely to actually uh, use uh, corporal punishment I guess on, on, on sailors mm. and, and was standard in the British Navy though uh, I, you know I think it's generally agreed that he had a bit of a sharp tongue mm. um, where you I think you know um What's interesting about the story is, if you look into it a little bit, and I'm by no means an expert, but from what I've read about it, mm. it's it's actually the real story is actually a wonderful example on someone moving the goalpost or astroturfing the story after it happened. Mm. And then um, Fletcher Christian, uh, his family had fairly powerful connections in the UK, which allowed them to recast or re-spin the story mm. following the. um uh, court martial in England to make it sound like Bly was some sort of villain and Fletcher Christian was some sort of righteous hero who had, um, you know, stood up against tyranny professionally. I, I do have a degree in history, so you exactly. Say, okay. <laughs> um, but <laughs> not in this particular, I should note, I never studied this at university, so not my area of expertise. But, <laughs> there you um, go. Um, but you know, I, I think if you look into it, I think that's was always my read of the story, was it? Hmm. Mm-hmm. that Bly was not from money or a gentleman, which is pointed out in at the end of the film. Yes, absolutely. Um, that Fletcher Christian was from a privileged mm-hmm. um, gentlemanly background. And yes. that allowed him to, his family at least, to recast the story in a way that made him look a lot better um, than he probably should have as yeah. being a, a common criminal who committed mutiny. Me- and I probably started flame where with somebody out there on the internet now who thinks... It's <laughs> Christian's a shit. But I mean, it probably <laughs> wouldn't be much. A... Christian uh, re- a revolution and fight goes on. <laughs> his family is still alive, and they still occupy Pitcairn Island um, in the mm-hmm. South Pacific. So, um, his family, I think, it, it's not many, fifty people live here or something. Um, okay. So <laughs> this his history lesson for today. But uh, I, I think don't, as I said, please don't take this as verbatim. Because it wouldn't be much of a story if yeah. he. Heroic captain, you know, sub- mm. survived. Yeah. I mean, but uh, just one more point: the actual fascinating part of his story for me is mm. the part. Of this film completely yada yada yaddas mm. is that they put Bly and the crew members who didn't want to participate in the mutiny in, in an open boat, and they put with a sextant and they navigated like a thousand kilometers or something in open ocean to Jakarta. Uh, hundred. Miles, an incredible feat of seamanship. Yes. I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not a sailor, but you know, like it's it's just I think it's generally agreed that it's an incredible feat of sail seamanship. Yeah. Um, and you know that the fact that they basically did that with I think most if not all of them surviving is remarkable and probably speaks more to Bly's abilities as a navigator, his seamanship. Maybe he wasn't a great leader of men, but I think that mm. speaks to how capable he was in his chosen profession, which was, um, you know, a ship's master, exactly. right? I, mean, I yeah. But yeah. That's <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yada, 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 he went to... He, that's fucking incredible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I shall stop on the actual history now. I thought this uh, film was tremendously dull, despite the fact that I enjoyed the visuals and mm. I understood... I could, Parts of it made me feel for the characters I have real people might have felt. Yeah, Marlon Brando's accent is potentially the worst accent I've heard since Meryl Streep's Australian accent.
0: I I feel like he the only way that anyone can actually legitimately speak like that is if they've been to the dentist and have had their jaw wired because no nobody did talks like this because you you literally have to not move your jaw and. <laughs> And he he does it for the entire movie. And I've met royalty; they don't talk like this. I've met really posh, really rich people, and they don't talk like this. But maybe there's something different in the navy. It's such a weird choice. It's it really
1: it's weird... interesting. Like at uh, um, he, he was interesting. He did make some interesting creative choices for his career, and yeah. sometimes they pull it off. This one, uh, this one absolutely did not, because yeah. even in uh, the sixties, apparently, we look at the trivia here again. Apparently, when he turned up at the New York premiere, people laughed at him because they thought his accent was, you know, woeful.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so I think it's one of the worst. for an accurate. Um, so wearing his naval uniform, Brando was widely booed and jeered at the New York premiere. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry, I added on a thing about the accent, but I'm almost certain that was the case. <laughs> um, it's it kind of makes it difficult to take seriously from the first moment he walks on screen. Oh my god that that character introduction! What the fuck? He <laughs> turned up looking like the Scarlet Pimpernel with like or like yeah. perhaps what perhaps what a what a nineteenth century um, Godfather and his hose. Might, to use a, yeah. 19, a late nineties WWE reference. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. that's what I think the Godfather would have turned up looking like because he would like the Scarlet Pimpernel outfit and a couple of. Mm-hmm. very attractive women, and you're like why would you bring them on board the ship?
0: And it's just it's like that casual thing of like, oh my apologies, Captain Bly I, I, I was called in at last minute notice, and uh, the ladies were desperate to speak to the captains so like, okay um what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just the most absurd, it like you're talking about all the absurd things that he got MGM to sign off on. I feel like that is sort of like you know what? I've had a really cool idea for character introduction. I don't want to go with fireworks because I don't think they would work on a dock. They might not be appropriate, but flamboyant dress, lots of color, and two hotties. How about that?
1: Yeah, sign here. I, I'm I'm picking kind uh, of of. Um... Um, Marlon Brede pitching uh, a, a character introduction, a bit like Apollo Creed arriving in the, the boxing fight of Ivan Drago, James Brown, you know. Um, and going, oh, it's an interesting choice, Marlon. Yeah, sure, no worries. Um, <laughs> it makes it difficult. Like, I just, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, again, I'm not a historian. I don't know what they... But I'm sure that didn't happen. Mm. <laughs> I, just, I just figure that didn't happen.
0: It, it certainly doesn't help kind of imbue the way that they are trying to present him in the movie as a man for the for the common crew because he clearly fucking isn't in every conceivable sense of the term he's just not that so it further divides him and so seeing him coming round to um uh richard harris's way of thinking and understanding and appreciation for the crew is like yeah but no, it it just it just doesn't fit. But at the same time, it's quite typical of movies from the late 50s through to the late 60s of that heroic gentleman figure. Like you saw it in a lot of any war movies that were there. They were there was always that man from the upper class who um was mistaken in his, who, who was misunderstood when he first joins the troops and joins the crew and things like that but by the end of it he is he's a man's man and he part of the part of the labor party so like oh yes all of us together in this sort of thing
1: there's it, a great sketch in a and uh monty python's a meaning of life where the British soldiers are in the trenches and they're giving him a cake and then they're like a, a clock and you know um yes. or the uh, the scene where they um English um officer class where they're you know fighting in Africa and it's like eh, Johnson's had his leg taken off by a tiger overnight, and, yeah. Um it, it kind of perfectly sums up the I think yeah. the way British lo- films another film
0: that it kind of reminded me of in its treatment of that upper upper crust fellow being brought low and that redemption story for in for lack of a better descriptor is like the four feathers. Um and oh, yeah. Heath Ledger did one, huh? Yeah, it's been remade a few times. That one, isn't it? Yeah, um, but there was one from like late sixties, early seventies, and it was quintessential, braggadocious young gentleman about town being conscripted into the army and doing everything he can to essentially the beginning of um, the Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise's characters are like, yeah, hey, I I did this to get away from that, and then him being brought low to to be to come this almost folk hero-esque character. It just rings so false now.
1: And the whole film has a feel of its time. Yeah. In a very 60s sort of film. In trying Mm. to figure out what I was going to go with next, I I found a lot of films, looking at a lot of films from that sort of time period. Mm. Um, And they're all two, two and a half hours, three hours long. Mm. Um, It's interesting, we've come full circle now around sort of where filmmakers feel i need to take three yeah. hours tell a very average story <laughs> matt reeves um
0: i, I i'm thinking more fu- futuring that of jim cameron avatar 2
1: well yes i mean what an interesting story avatar 2 is that film came out what 10 11 years ago the first one and you're like yeah and like, it has had, has had zero impact on popular culture like mm-hmm. nobody finally remember almost no one finally remembers they had oh my god i can't wait for an avatar sequel and you're like Yes, yeah. I'll go see it, uh, I suppose. I mean, mm. and you're making how many of them? Fuck off. <laughs>
2: I Mutiny really,
1: really struggled with Mutiny on the Bounty to get through it. It was like that Tahitian interlude, despite the fact that like I said it's gorgeous to look at for the first five minutes, it mm-hmm. just goes on and on and oh, on. I mean, yeah. oh, really you yeah. learn about some of the things that happen in the film, and you make you wonder if that's why. So mm-hmm. you noted at the start they actually built the fucking ship and they sailed it there. Yeah. Uh, it was late getting there, quite, <laughs> quite late getting to Tahiti. So they decided they had to start shooting stuff in Tahiti to that didn't require a ship mm-hmm. in shot. And so that's what they worked through first. They shot all the stuff that they could in Tahiti that didn't require a ship, and still they ran out of stuff to shoot scripted scenes. To shoot in Tahiti, without the ship in it, so I just wonder if maybe because I mean if you can imagine you've got mm-hmm. thousands of people, including Marlon fucking Brando, Mister you know Mister Moneybags himself, sitting around doing nothing that's burning money. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? If your ship's a week away. You're probably going to yep. find someone else to shoot, right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that's what it was. I like just you know uh, yep. I wonder if they thought well we we've got all this time we need to do something and they shot. Actual can actual can we make that fishing
0: sequence a little bit longer?
1: <laughs> all lining up it's like i don't i haven't read anything about brando having like last cut or taking over an editing room or anything of that nature so maybe mm. it did happen i don't know um but i'm certain he fell he obviously fell in love with tahiti because he ended up moving there right he bought an island and stuff mm-hmm. um but um there's no insinuation that it was his influence that led to him having a ridiculously long amount of time on tahiti yeah um you know, and then they get to the end, and again, they just sort of yada, yada, yada. What happened after they, yeah, and I pick up about yeah, the Bly's trip back to England? He said, Burr! It happens off screen, basically. And then we have a bit of his time at pick and they have an incredibly inaccurate death scene for um, for Fletcher Christian, who's trying to heroically save the now Sixten. the sexton off the bounty. And you're like, That's not what happened. Mm. <laughs> and I know I'm being a bit picky about that, but. As soon as like, when I saw Braveheart for the first time a couple of years ago, I was like, well, I know this didn't happen this way. So I take mm-hmm. it, I mean, it makes it very hard for me to take it seriously.
0: Yeah. It's like, um, I remember when um, the, I think it was Michael Bay produced U571. Ah, uh, yes. And they basically just like, a, oh yeah, the Americans broke the Enigma code. No, no they didn't. Nope, nope. And then there was, <laughs> I don't know if it's... Uh, we just one of those urban legends or not, but apparently the studio asked him, Michael Bay, if he could shoot an alternate ending to Pearl Harbor.
3: It's like, what? It's a historical event. What the fuck are you doing?
1: I remember reading when that came out that they didn't want to alienate the Japanese market, which was quite big at the time. So, they added extra scenes, you know, like Japanese uh, fighter pilots waving away women and children as they were coming in the bomb. However, didn't happen. Didn't happen. (laughs) So, they just didn't want to try and make the, you know, the the Japanese pilots look
2: a little less
1: shitty, you know? know? (laughs) Um, And so, it's not unusual, but maybe it's not important to some people. You know, but to me, it really put it up, put me, it had it very difficult sitting mm-hmm. there going, I know a little bit about this event and none of this happened this way.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: you're trying to turn Captain Blind a mustache twirling villain. Oh, <laughs> lash you all, you know, skeletal level evil. And you start, <laughs> it's actually a very interesting story. You didn't need to go to those extremes. Mm-hmm. But like, it seems like that influenced the, the gravitational pull of one incredibly difficult yet. Insanely powerful star mm. seems to have destroyed this film. Mm. Because I think that the the overall story of it is
0: is an interesting one. It could be very, it could be a very interesting story. But um, I'm I can't help but think of um, the uh, when did it come out? Uh, 2003. Peter Weir, I think it was. Uh, yeah, I'm Peter sorry. Weir directed *Master and Commander*. Yeah, and that had. Nearly an hour less uh, travel time on screen, and it was overall better for it. It was still a pretty bad movie, but I liked
2: it. Oh,
0: it
1: had another terrible English accent, Russell Crowe. Speaking about accents, he's bad accent of the week, Russell Crowe. Mm. Um, (laughs) I remember liking it, um, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah, it was. It was, but it still was
0: able to. It's. The reason why I think I, I think of it in this situation is because it tells that story of a crew being put through adversity better than what this did and that very slow, meandering pace. But at the same time, the sensibilities of the cinema-goer are very, very, very different 50, 60 years on from then. Like the idea of the showing kind of realistic brutality of what it would look like to whip. Like when uh, the whipping scene in um, the la- uh, Mel Gibson's uh, Passion of the Christ...
1: I thought the same, actually, during the uh, lashing scene here.
0: Yeah. Like, showing that level of brutality would not have been released at all. It would not have been accepted. Uh, that would have been an X-rated movie. So... I guess. You're right.
1: If Simmers moved on and you tell stories yeah. in a different way, that slow, languid, meandering pace, you mm-hmm. just wouldn't get away with that today. You just,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I was thinking most of it. We talked methods of making the film. They built the ship. Yeah. They filmed it in Tahiti. I was thinking to myself today, they would definitely film this somewhere like Hawaii probably today because mm-hmm. that could stand in Tahiti just fine, and it's closer, easier, probably mm-hmm. cheaper to shoot at than than yeah. than somewhere like Tahiti on um, you know, on location. You're right, they'd probably shoot the ship scenes in, you know, a studio that's set up for that, like the one they made for Titanic or wherever it was they shot um, uh, the the Pirates films, you know. They would do the ship via CGI. It would be obviously, you know,
3: in a way that helps.
1: It's kind of cool having them on a real ship and 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 the locations, like I mentioned earlier, help, but that language sort of, Nick, if we've got three hours to tell a story, fuck it. You know, like, we don't need to hurry. You know, we don't need to keep the audience engaged or interested or entertained. Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the star power of Brando will do it all for us. Um, and, you know, I still think, though, even by the, by the standards of a day, uh, I mean, it's interesting that INDB has a 7.2 for this. Mm. The critics gave it a 40, it's a 48 meta score. So mm. the critics didn't like it, but... Um, I have to wonder whether people were really entertained by this beyond maybe mm. spectacle was enough in the 60s. The
0: well, I mean, looking at the, 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 the trailer for the movie, it's sort of like it's it's celebrating the production of the movie rather than talking about or selling the movie it's about like look at the beautiful locations where this movie was shot it was shot on location in tahiti with the beautiful women and the hard-working men the bounty was actually made and sailed around the world it's like okay cool production wise this is impressive yes definitely agree
1: (laughs) story-wise it was well this was this might have been the hardest one to get through since the four-hour version of Hamlet we watched about a year ago. So
2: right.
1: um, it
0: was kind <laughs> of picking long, annoying movies.
1: Well, you know what I mean. I was curious about it, having never seen it. Like yes, you know, um, but I, like I said earlier, they needed to seriously move it along,
2: mm-hmm. cut
1: down that time,
2: mm. and
1: just pick. I would have I said, I'd be, I would be opposed to a remake of this. Mm. I don't think there's been an actual Mutiny in the Downey film for quite a while since he's the last one i remember with mel gibson being anything of a high profile because i think there's an interesting nuanced story to be told like who do you actually back do you back the you know bligh who has got a job to do and maybe he's a bit sharp with people but you know he's doing it to keep to keep his people alive and safe and get them home as quickly as possible it works for everybody versus fletcher christian who's you know perhaps a different type of cat here is sort of like well you know, you're not. In, you, you might have people's best intentions. Or the outcomes might be honourable, but the way you go about that is kind of fucked. And then yeah. you sort of get that ends versus means. You know, meeting in the middle. Of that would be an interesting story if you got yourself a couple of decent actors involved. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, maybe English ones this time. I don't know. It's a crazy idea. Um, <laughs> Don't be silly. The British can't be shown
0: as being villains unless <laughs>
1: they're portraying Nazis or um, space Nazis. Space Nazis. So, I, I, but yeah, I'm. I wouldn't say I it wouldn't go so far as to say I'm glad I've seen it, um, mm. but um, it's it an interesting
0: so many... um, look back at a different time of cinema.
1: It was, and it's it's probably historically important. Yeah, you know, in a sense, it's a piece of cinema history here.
2: Mm.
0: As, as something of entertainment, Ooh, there's, there's very little. No, I I really struggled with it. I was mm, quite. quite bored. Yeah, yeah. But um, the keys are for you, sir. Where are you going?
1: Now, the only choice would to follow Marlon Brando because, you know, the guy did... It's
0: Marlon fucking Brando.
1: <laughs> yeah, Marlon Brando. He was, was so many choices to go with there. Um, but I'm not going to go with Marlon Brando because I it think it's a little bit too obvious. Um, and plus I've seen most of these good films and I mm-hmm. do try very hard to stick to uh, stuff I've not seen before, mm-hmm. um, just to sort of you know give myself something new to watch. Rather than going, let's watch Superman again because yeah, yeah, I mean, sure, that'd be cool.
2: Um,
1: <laughs> but we're actually going to stick in the same time period. So I thought what would be interesting here would be Ooh. interesting to sort of what you said there is, um, was it just a, is it just the way they made films in the sixties that mm. is completely you know. Foreign in 60 years later, mm. that they generally, as a rule, are not going to be as entertaining today because of the what audience expectations. So, mm. I'm going to go with one that I think sounds like uh, maybe something that could be a little bit more entertaining for us, and that is we're going tonight, we're going to follow uh old mate, what's his name again? Um, Richard Harris to 1961 The Guns of Never ruined. Oh,
0: damn. God, I haven't watched that in a long time.
1: I don't think i would actually ever seen it before. So, for Key for You, I, I, well, what, well, there was another choice. The other choice on the table was going to follow the uncredited writer. Apparently, every man and his dog had to go <laughs> up the script for um, Mutiny and the Bounty. Because, like, seriously, look at the writing credits. We have a screenplay by Charles Lederer. Mm. We have Billy Wilder, by the way. Was another option. He was one of the greatest film directors of all time. So I'm like, oh, The Apartment. Um, Eric I
2: Amber, We
1: wow. okay. school John Gay and Ben Hecht, All uncredited storyline consultants or writers of one kind or another. Wow. So okay. that's a lot. And, and and Billy Wilder, right? Like, yeah. Billy Wilder. Um, one of the greats. It's a bit like having you know, uh, you know Quentin Tarantino as your unscripted, uncredited <laughs> guy. I was going to follow Eric Ambler, who also who wrote the um, 1958 uh, Titanic film, and I to remember.
0: Um, oh.
2: I,
1: I had a look at that and I thought, wow, there's almost no one in that film I've ever actually ever heard of before. So I thought it could be a real bitch for you to get out of that one into something yeah, else. Yeah. Be a <laughs> little Although nice to me. The Guns of Navarone stars uh, uh, David Niven, Gregory Peck, and Anthony Quinn is our three key stars. Based mm. on an and McLean novel, mm-hmm. a team of Allied saboteurs are assigned an impossible mission. Infiltrate an impregnable Nazi held Greek Island and destroy the two enormous long range field guns to prevent the rescue of two thousand trapped British soldiers. Mm-hmm. You should be able to find a way out of that film with one of those three um really oh. icons, I think. Oh my goodness. Oh, there's so many
0: choices I can go to.
1: <laughs> See, I am a considerate uh, selector. Sometimes, I mean, mm-hmm. Wake and fright was a little bit tricky, but um, I didn't want to put you right. But I mean, like you could have, you would have found a way out of a night to remember, but it would have been a little bit hard. Yeah. In researching this, what I found interesting though was mm. Alice McLean wrote the novel that this is based on, and I remember I think my dad had a shit ton of Alice McLean novels when I was a kid. It mm. struck me as a guy who wrote a lot. Sold a lot of books, yeah. But if you have a look at him and uh, his um, writing credits, they haven't made anything based on any of his books for since twenty thirteen when a TV miniseries. Yeah. No uh, feature films based on his work since nineteen ninety five. I kind of felt like he was a really famous author, so yeah. and like uh, my first thought was like, oh, he's really he wrote best selling novels, but like it seems to have very much gone out of fashion. Maybe he's yeah. got Me Too or something. I don't know. Maybe posthumously me too I don't know. Um, <laughs> just do stuff really really out of fashion. I really um, fucking hate that guy. I'm I'm burying him deeper. <laughs> anyway, so that's next week. Um mm. I think that one's long as well. So it'll be an interesting yin and yang for us to be able to go. Is it just, you know, um, have I made movies? Or, you know, what it just really average
2: Mmm. Mm.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to going back to Guns of Navarone. I think that that just instantly makes me think of Sunday afternoons at my parents' house with my dad drunk on three bottles of wine and me sitting there eating chocolate.
1: <laughs> it's interesting oh. that that um, became a, a, a British thing as well, in the sense that um, I think of Westerns and war movies as being a, Rainy Saturday, Sunday afternoon, stable as well in Australia. So it must be something they did a lot of places. They just put old movies on, and I guess they were either war movies or westerns. Yep, pretty much. Yep. (laughs)
2: All right. Do you want
1: want to tell us about the Netflix animated film Sea Beast? I had not even heard of it. So
0: it's an interesting thing for the Sea Beast to come out on Netflix. After they have, after the last four or five months, where they've been in the news for basically bleeding subscriptions, cancelling all of their animated projects and things, and yet we've had a whole bunch of things come out that are animated, and they've generally been quality. Like we had the newest season of Love, Death, and Robots. Um, they uh, they came off the success of. Uh, arcane the the one based off of uh league of legends let
1: me tell you i watched an episode of that by the way a long time ago that yeah. was good mm-hmm. it's good it's good there's it it no business being good but it was good yeah exactly
0: and um the, this so sea beast is their newest movie and certainly their first real big push for an animated movie i mean it's one that we had the trailer at EB games and none of the other ones like their bloody Fred claws, or the Willoughby's or whatever they've had done in the past. They, they didn't make the EB wall. But they have definitely been using this as somewhat of a prestige piece because in the trailer, they've got some like uh, from the creators of Moana and big hero six. They don't say the director or anything like that. It's the creative team. (laughs) <laughs> because they probably couldn't get the director. And
1: when you watch uh, this was, movie... This is the guy who directed Bigger Six and Moana. Chris Williams directed oh, both of those Direct.
0: Oh, okay. He oh, just must have brought the whole team over. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Um so the synopsis for The Sea Beast. When a young girl stows away on the ship of a legendary sea monster hunter, they launch an epic journey into uncharted waters and make history to boot. That's kind of a bare bones way of putting it, but I'll I'll allow it to pass. This movie sets up a world where the notion of everyone as a kid saw those old globes and they had like the, the sea creatures on them in certain parts. So you've seen them in movies and it posits the idea that they are real. And that for one reason or another, there was essentially a war between the sea beasts and the land landlubbers. And the sea beasts would come in and just, just lay waste to any towns and cities that were on the coast. And then it was these um, sea monster hunters that rose up with their mighty ships and claimed back the sea. Um and um, one site um, we open with a very similar opening to the original Pirates of the Caribbean. where We see this shipwreck burning, a young boy floating on some debris, and it's a young Jacob Holland who, in uh, when he grows up, which it cuts to very quickly, is voiced by one Carl Urban. And he has been rescued by um, The Inevitable, which is the name of the the, the, pi- the premier um, monster hunting ship, captained by connection to <laughs> Mutiny on the Bounty, son of Richard Harris, Jared Harris. And my God, he sounds a lot like his dad. Um, <laughs> And they've got this uh, very much a father-son relationship. He plays Captain Crow, and then this young girl, voiced by um, Zaris Angel Hater, who I do not recognise the name, but she has been in, she was in Morbius, Midnight Gang, The Power. Seems to be a, a fresh face in the uh, in the cinema world, but. Getting
1: around a little bit, morbid. Uh, so, hence, if it's fair to say it's morbid time.
0: So we just got to turn Travis off for a moment. <laughs> 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 Another one like that, and I'll put you in the corner. Hey, oh, you
1: know, bit- don't hate the game, don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs>
0: um. The voice acting is generally pretty good, which is usually one of the first things that I just gravitate to when I'm seeing a uh, generally a very Hollywood-themed casting in an animated movie. They often don't treat them quite with the respect as other other productions or other countries in the world that produce um, good quality animated movies. But overall, it's pretty good. Um, and the story kind of gets a little bit boring because it posits a few interesting ideas like this this war between the sea beasts and others and as soon as you see the trailer and as soon as the, they introduce Maisie as this young bright-eyed young girl who wants to join the the um the sea monster hunters guild and things like that it's like oh, okay I know where this is going to go. It's going to go the how to train your dragon route of they're misunderstood creatures, blah, blah, blah. The misunderstanding is a bit more interesting, but it comes so late in the game and the revelation and the conclusion of it is like, well, that was kind of shit. They should have left that as a bit of a stinger at the end and just had it as a morality tale rather than, going as big as they wanted to go with it. Um, and then maybe they could have just done a second movie or a, a series of movies or a TV show, or whatever they wanted to do in the future to, to explore that idea more because it very it felt very undercooked. Um, but yeah, it feels like it's trying to do a lot of the things. It's got the um, beautiful islands of Moana. It has got the a little bit of the fun of How to Train Your Dragon, but none of the characters or the actors are as charming as any of the characters presented in How to Train Your Dragon. There's not the genuine, heartfelt relationship that you have between Hiccup and uh, Stolic, especially in How to Train Your Dragon 2, which got me crying how how that relationship goes. Um, It could have. Carl Urban and Jared Harris are good actors and there's there was enough meat on those bones to do it, but they just didn't spend any time with that. They just wanted to get to more of the cutesy stuff. Netflix have created a movie that could very easily, if it had been given more time and given more attention, done the classic Pixar thing of being cursorially a movie for kids. But when you look into it more, there is that emotional adult undertone running through it. They could have done that. They just didn't. And they ended up spinning too many plates and dropping a bunch of them. It's not a terrible movie by any stretch of the imagination. But considering some of the things that it tries to put forwards as plot devices and world building tools. It just feels very thin and unfinished which is a shame
1: so it sounds like it's going to be pretty well suitable for younger kids or young people family movie maybe
0: it's definitely a good family movie it is one that there's no bad language in it the threat level of dread that you might feel for characters is minimal um there is that little bit of scare that's uh, even the classic disney stuff was was able to deliver. I'm thinking of um, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and particularly the song Hellfire. That's fucking nightmare fuel for anyone who hasn't watched it. It's terrifying. It's it's about a fucking religious figure essentially just destroying himself and saying he's going to be cast into Hellfire because he has sexual desires towards a woman. It's fucked up. (laughs) It doesn't go anywhere near as dark as that in this movie.
1: It sounds like it's it's the... um... It's the uh, Pixar movie you get when you order it from Wish.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Like it looks the a bit like it, but it's not quite right. Yeah, the animation is good, but there's not there's not the character and the uh, the personality behind it all. Like the the big red sea monster that's on all the posters and everything. It's it looks too. It looks too DreamWorks compared to Pixar. And right. most people will get what I mean by that. Uh, DreamWorks generally has this kind of cutesy, smoochy kind of look to everything. Um, even when it's something that's going, rrr, rrr, destroying a giant crab and things like that. It's like, okay, you look like a dough ball. I'm not really scared by a dough ball and I'm also supposed to like you too, but you're not really that endearing. So it, it just, just misses the mark so much. And when you're kind of reviewing it and analyzing it, it's, it's no noticeable, but if you want to just have something on that you can turn your brain off to and just enjoy the colors while the kids just get uh, enjoy and have a good time and have a safe, fun, family, friendly PG, younger audience fair this is perfect for that and the fact that it is on netflix you've already got it so it's right there something fresh and anyone who like i even had someone today come in like, oh yeah my my kid um is it really wants to watch the boys have you got anything (laughs) like um how old is your son? It's like, oh, he's nine. It's like, yeah, don't let him watch the boys.
1: <laughs> Lazy parents. I remember once being in JB Hi-Fi buying something, and the guy in front of me was buying GTA Five with a very small child. Yeah. It looked like basically it's like a yeah. You, know, you read the lines, read between the lines. It was a grandpa and his grandson. Yeah. And the girl behind the counter was doing her job. And she goes, "You realise this is an R-rated game? It's got some pretty mature mm. content in it." Yada yada. And he's like, "He obviously didn't speak." Particularly great say, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And gave it to his son, or his grandson, and walked out. And you're like, mm-hmm. bit of responsibility here, people. You know, yeah. I don't have kids, but like, fuck. You know, yeah. I still, if I did, I wouldn't let them play GTA Five when they were ten.
0: Yeah, I am every Every under eighteen year old's worst nightmare because when they bring in their their family member who clearly knows nothing about video games is like okay let me tell you a couple of the things that are involved in that are possible in gta oh no 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 i know about the guns and violence okay do you know about the prostitution sorry what (laughs) i was like yeah and i always look at the kids and so like sorry i'm selling you out kid this is not suitable for you there's a reason why it's 18 so oh that's what that means
1: yes seriously look it's just (laughs) mind blowing like are you de- those ratings been used on films for my entire life. Mm-hmm. How do you not know what they mean? Oh, so. They're for the kids, right? I just like I don't, it. Mind boggles at people our age, like you yeah. know, and you know, younger like video games are ubiquitous. Yeah, uh, not my problem. Mm. You, you, you're, but you're, anyway, you're,
0: going, going back to um, uh, the the, the sea beast, um. Yeah, I, I would generally give this like out of ten, I would say that this is a strong six, maybe seven, just for the right audience. This is this is family friendly. Put put it on in the background, let the kids just veg in front of the T V and not not worry. So like, oh are they gonna see or hear something that's inappropriate for them. They're not, they're gonna have a good time. They're gonna enjoy it. they don't
1: expect to have a particularly good time yourself.
2: Yeah,
0: I mean, it, you're not going to be offended. You're not going to look at it and go, well, if I can waste my hour and a half or however long it is, that is the nice thing about it. It is under two hours, people. Under two hours. And Unlike your show. Um... <laughs> it, it feels a little long, though. <laughs> it should be hour and a half. It, it can go for that 90 minutes.
1: It wouldn't lose anything. There you go. That's a very mixed reception unless you have mm. young kids who are probably going to mm. dig it, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and they're probably gonna go. Oh, I want to watch something else. <laughs> uh, now, good. um, should we? Should it might we... be time, it'll be a traditional slot where we would go to the commercial. but it's time for what people have been asking for, and that is yes. uh, it's the trick, respective ladies and gentlemen. Salute, Captain on the neck. And... Let's just tee her up here. And so, uh, as we said, it is this week's episode.
0: I gave you the perfect it's, run-in it's... and still-waiting technical difficulties, ladies and gentlemen. This is this is not what people expect from us.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings and salutations, dear listeners, and welcome to episode six of The Trek Perspective, show where Michelle is subjected to the greatest franchise mm-hmm. in pop culture. Pop-tulti history but basically human literature basically human history the greatest franchise in human history we're talking about you forget about the bible you know lord of the rings it's star trek all the way this week it is episode six as i noted so we are talking about star trek six the undiscovered country uh, in terms of a plot this one is uh basically a a cold war uh a, a metaphor which uh, sort of matches its time, came out in 9.91. On the eve of retirement, Kirk and McCoy are charged with assassinating the Klingon high Chancellor and imprisoned. The Enterprise crew must help them escape the a conspiracy aimed at uh, sabotaging the last, best hope for peace. In terms of famous people in this movie, you've got the usual cast, the whole uh, original cast is back, yet again, looking a little older, a little bit more tired, Lemmy in particular, looking some pretty long in the face. Uh, a couple of pretty decent, sort of well-known faces in here. Uh, the great Kim Cattrall in here as the uh, Vulcan Val- Lieutenant Valeris. Uh, Brock Peters is back as Admiral Cartwright. Uh, Kurtwood Smith from that seventy show is back as the Federation President, aka Hulk Hogan, according to Michelle. Um, and the great late Christopher Plummer is Chang. Uh, in one of the great turns in the film. Um, what did you make of this?
3: Well, let's first address a very important point. So, six, six, six movies, yeah?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: This goes on to make seven more movies. They go Correct. on to make seven. And yet, and yet, we can't get studio executives to agree to a movie of community to make it six seasons and a movie. I just want to put that out there. I think everyone's talking about that, and I just need to put it out there.
1: Well, I think we're closer than ever before. We was talk about it last week, in fact, that um, from uh, Joel McHale, that it might be happening sooner rather than later. It is a strange one isn't because you've got the Rusev brothers. You've got um, Alison Brie and a couple All of others time. have gone to big things. You've got uh, Mark Harmon, who's huge for Rick and Morty, and apparently it can't get it done. And but, no one's
3: been tattooed from that crowd either. So, you know, they're good to go. No one's
1: been you've also got, you know, um, Childish Gambino, forget the actor's name, Donald Glover, sorry. Um, Chevy Chase, I assume, would be somehow involved. But this isn't a, a community uh, retrospective. This is a Star Trek retrospective. And I suspect that Michelle is covering for the fact that she fell asleep during this film and doesn't remember what happened at the end. Um, would yes. I be correct?
3: you are got here about my ability to stay awake for a what? What was it, a seven hour film?
1: (laughs) No, that was last week. Um, This one's an hour 50, so it's pretty short by today's standards. An
3: hour 50, like in Klingon time or something like that. Well, you haven't
1: really experienced until you've seen it in the original Klingon. Was there a little bit too much Shakespeare in this film for you? I think I was pushing the envelope a little bit.
3: You know what there wasn't enough of? Kim Cattrall.
1: No. Apparently she did her own hair, by the way. She came up that hairstyle uh, and decided to make sure her ears were super uh, prominent. So, um, always about the style of Kim even before she became super famous for uh, her role in Sex in the City.
3: I think there was scope there for her to keep a video diary and say, um, I wonder, when you lie with the Klingons, are they as uh, easy as the Earthmen? You know, I think there was scope for that, and unfortunately, we didn't get that. With this. It was just
1: a different time.
3: <laughs> it was a different time, yeah. yeah. I,
1: it's interesting, <laughs> these little interesting 23rd characters.
3: Century, they're more conservative. When... <laughs> in the 23rd century, more conservative.
1: Well, there, there was a rumor, I don't think it's true, but apparently, uh, after filmmaking completed it on a certain day or something like that, um, Kim Control had some fairly steamy nude shots taken of her um, in the cactus chair on the set of a bridge. Um, was
3: that to... not proven false, though? Sorry? Was
1: that not proven false? Was that not? I, I no, Look, I mean, it's one of those urban myths. I think it's sort of come out that I don't think it's actually any evidence of that, but, you know, um, it's that's I, nice to... It was long rumoured that the, when filming that during one day near the end of production, Kim Turell posed fully nude, wearing only her Vulcan ears on the bridge set. Reported Lennon, and when he found out about it, was furious. He then forced Kim Turell, the turn of the film and had it destroyed. This has been repeatedly said to be false by both Nimoy and control and not one shred of verifiable evidence has ever been produced. Though some fans wondered if it did happen, and Nimoy merely forced Cottrell to deny this. Annoying to interview with Femme Fatale's magazine a year after the film was released, Kim Cottrell merely replied, I can't talk about that when asked about the photos. So, you know, myth confirms. They just want us to believe it didn't happen. Um,
3: I don't know. Kim Cottrell is in the phase of her life where She's not got a lot of fucks to give, to be completely <laughs> honest. But if that were true, she would be saying that was true.
1: If the story was true, then Lenin went committed a war crime. That's what he did by making her destroy that because um she was
2: gorgeous.
3: She was, was thirty five and you know, it's like I mean, you know, thirty five is a perfect young age, but you know. But then again, she looks fabulous now and she's, what, 60 or something. So. And She would
1: be every bit of that, yes, in the mid-60s. Um, so I'm taking so, it, though, if it, I think you were taken early on in the film, you were sort of mentioning you enjoyed the fact there was more of a story this time and it felt less like let's a... Let's start with
3: the fact that this is 1991 special effects. Yes, so, so that, that special effects are sli- No, but it made it slightly more palatable than 1980 special effects, which I'm like... This is surely being filmed on someone's desk with a a camera and everything's in miniature where you can really tell. Well, it's almost certainly uh, what happened, yes. Yeah. Whereas in 1991, they start to discover, what, CGI at that point, and we get CGI blood. It doesn't
2: really look that great, does it? We
3: know that this film came
1: came out the same year as Terminator 2. Um, but oh. it, special effects, I think they got the Bargain Basement special effects team this, this film.
3: Yeah, because I remember how they made a whole special about the, um, those effects that they did of him transforming with the metal and, you know, how they didn't have that technology before. So this is the version of we have the technology, but we don't want to spend that much money. Well, we
1: said a $35 million budget versus a $100 million budget uh, for Terminator 2. So, you know, you get what you pay for, but the special effects the looked a little bit better, I think.
3: I actually think even though they were cheesy, they did look better. And also there were more shots. Like, for example, there's grand shots of the uh, ice. There, there's more. It's not because I find... It's really interesting. It's only when you start to see the um, other version or the opposite effect that you kind of appreciate what was going on. You've got a lot of small TV, small room being filmed. So that's why it feels quite claustrophobic, the previous films. This film felt a little bit more expansive, although there were in points where it was still claustrophobic. but. It, it, you could tell, uh, I think you mentioned to me they got a good director. I'm like, you could tell they spent some money on the director.
1: Well, last week was, um uh William first, and I believe last, feature film directorial experience. This film, Star Trek 6, was directed by Nicholas Meyer, who directed Star Trek 2. Um, he, um, I think he directed, um, yes, he did. Uh, he didn't do a lot of directing, actually, so he, the only other thing I think I've actually ever seen here is a TV movie called A Day After, which was, uh, had Steve Gutenberg in it. Otherwise, not a whole lot He um He wrote a lot of stuff for Star Trek, but um, I think he did a better job here. Well, Star Trek, too, like I said, Rafa Khan's generally accepted as being one of the better ones. If you didn't love it, um, but I think it's better than the, the fifth I one. love
3: how campy it is. I loved how campy Wrath of Khan
1: was. He was a bit campy in parts of them all quoting uh, yes. Shakespeare or, yeah, at times and we had a shape, we had, we had a man as a shapeshifter.
3: No, you're not, no, it's not a little bit campy, It was super campy. Um, this one was interesting, very nineties, the shape shifting. It's yes, you just telling you for the 23rd century, it looks awfully like the 90s. it smells awfully like King Spirit.
1: <laughs> it's um, it's true. The films do reflect the time though, and it's interesting going back and watching them with you. But they do feel a little bit of their time. You found, I think you were saying early on, that you found it less like a TV episode and more like an actual movie yeah. story.
3: Yes, they get they get into the movie story quite quickly, and there's enough there to sustain it. Although I couldn't keep my eyes open towards the end, and I was literally doing the, uh, you know animation looney tunes animation of nah, 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 nah. <laughs> just completely just going there any toothpicks where i can hold the eyelids up with or anything well, well, we
1: should watch the next one earlier during the day so we don't have this problem again
3: uh, i actually enjoyed the fact that i was
1: <laughs> so here we go we <laughs> are i think you was saying star trek um aside from being the greatest cultural production in the history of humanity um, is, um, is a suitable um, a, a suitable tonic for insomniacs. Um,
3: yes.
1: Being an insomniac myself, I don't know, but I guess I could give it a go.
3: Yes. There's seven of these you say. I ask you every week how many <laughs> Seven more know? to
1: go. You've never been close to the finishing before.
3: But it's like surely, surely this will finish one day.
2: Well gotta be about honest.
3: Star Trek. Tell me. Oh, learned Papa Smurf or Papa Homer. Please tell Star me. Star Trek
1: Generations is the next one. This is the first time you'll meet Patrick Stewart's Captain Picard. Um, Is the uh, last appearance of William Shatner in the series. Um, It's not their best work, but we'll see how we go about it. But it looks a little bit more modern again. Um,
3: is they listening? Do not gamble, kids. This is exactly why gambling is right. <laughs> gambling is
1: bad. So how out of ten
3: lockdowns, how did we go
1: on Star Trek Six, the undiscovered country? I guess a,
3: like a seven lockdowns.
2: So a three out of ten
1: for this one.
3: Maybe six lockdowns, six and a half.
1: Three and a half out of ten. Wow, it's a she's a hard taskmaster. This one. Uh,
3: just not other than the campy feeling i think most enjoys i make as laughing at it i think that's the most
1: it was much laughing it was much hilarity
3: the bit that i i was most engaged with was with spock and when kirk lost his son like all of a sudden in this all of a sudden he cares about his son and there's a photo of his son it's like it's so choppy
1: well, this is the problem. This is I almost mean, the, the Disney Star Wars phenomenon in the sense that they, they didn't have a, an overarching arc. They didn't have a consistent director. um was Gene Roddenberry, who is the creator and um, had creative some creative control over what happened with the films, died just after seeing the film for the first time, like two days. The well before the film was actually released. So... Um,
3: Kevin Feige looked at this and went, this is what not to do.
1: Kevin, Fe- Gene Roddenberry was kind of the Kevin Feige of Star Trek for a while until he started getting in people's way to a point where they got really annoyed with him and they kind of sidelined him. But that's a whole other thing. Um, but, yes, they, they didn't really ever have a overarching vision. It's always a choppy changey, like you said. We don't mention Star Trek Five ever again, thank God, until much more recently. Um, and you know, as you said, that arc with his son could have been maybe this film should have come after Star Trek IV, and that would have made a little bit more sense. Um, if it actually got around to it, but as we know, they didn't. Um, can't say that necessarily changes anytime soon.
3: Now, I've got a, I keep on mentioning the Orville every week in tandem with this, and I've watched the Orville's latest episode, right? And it's actually a really good one. Now, you know, I've been a bit tethered with the old, especially since watching Star Trek. And I was like, okay, what makes this episode interesting? Again, tethered to character. There's a full on character arc here, which is really, really interesting, where they explore the um, repercussions of time travel, right? And I thought that had real pathos to it. So, all of this. It's only when it approximates a little bit to pathos that I start to pay attention to these Star Trek movies. And so that's why I kind of remember the sun photo. Cause I'm like, Oh, okay. This is linked to his um, motivation, but it's the same thing. It, it's just very sloppy, very sloppy script writing. It really is. And it, I, I'm just, I'm wondering if people are so desperate to enter a world that's so foreign to them, right? where they can play with their fantasy that that they'll just that that's what been so attractive about can i make an analogy I still...
1: can i make an analogy a Please. few weeks ago on the show i talked about our palette cleanser being sex in the city movie which um you recall i didn't like very much um and and most of the people it has a five-ish on IMDb, so even people who saw it apparently didn't love it um but you talked to a lot of people who really enjoyed it and i think you enjoyed it for slightly different reasons but I think people just enjoyed being back with those characters they loved because they spent all those years on a TV show with um, with all of the girls and being in the same space for a couple of hours, two and a half hours um, with those characters again was, it was like a real treat for them. And I think that was maybe it for the Trek fans, at least in the eighties. And also I think standards have changed a little bit in this space special effects as well, but people love these characters. I love these characters when done well and you spent all these years in this case by now the early 90s you spent over 25 years with loving these characters and enjoying their stories and the interactions together it's being in the same space as them for two hours is
3: yeah, but you, actually about... have to fall you have to actually fall in love with these characters though i still can't get to the point of falling in love with them well this is I, true I unfortunately in the, in the space i get that i, get, I don't think it's done I, a very
1: I, good job so no i can understand why you haven't
3: well, this is this is exactly the bit with Star Wars. We fall in love with Luke. We fall in love with Leia. We fall in love with Obi-Wan. And now, of course, Disney's just killing it to every single inch of its, you know, and you're like, stop. But anyway, that's a whole other issue. And the same thing, I mean, if you look at the early Sex and the City episodes and you think of the time, they were doing things that wasn't on TV a lot. And it was, if, if we're going to objectify women, you know, at least – let the women have a say about it. Do you know what I mean? And I think Sex and the City did that at the beginning. And so you have an opportunity to fall in love with the characters. I've got nothing here to fall in love with.
1: Like, cause you're coming in, maybe these are coming in at a different time. This show, the TV show, absolutely new things that no one else did. Like I said previously, the first interracial kiss on network television was Star Trek. You know, the fact that they had African-American characters working, women, African-American women working alongside white men and, you know, as peers, that was no one was doing that at the time. The um, fairly philosophical, more, more philosophical, they didn't always do deep, and meaningful, and philosophical story. Is, like
3: is Star Trek loved from but loved by different cohorts?
1: Look, I mean, I think it's fair to say that a big part of his cohort is you know the traditional, you know, young, white, geeky male kind of thing. But trust me, there are a lot of women out there who love your show as well it's a it's a I mean the fact that we now 13 films says something that you know there's enough to this um property or this franchise that people love it and a fairly wide cross-section of people love it where I think you'll get the most joy for me personally is you' when we get to Josh Abram JJ Abrams' films the oh. first two in particular because JJ Abrams is not a Trek fan he's no Star Trek fan so he made a Star Trek film or two of them at least the people who aren't Star Trek fans. Um Yeah,
3: but I'm, I'm not a fan of J. He gave us Lost. He, he gave did. He Star Wars. I mean, believe it or
1: not, this is probably for me his best work in in cinema. Like, I, don't, his his bullshit mystery box stuff didn't translate well to Star Wars. I don't think he's a Star Wars fan either, frankly, because he didn't seem to know what to do with that franchise. But I think his best work and is a controversial call. A lot of people hated some of the stuff he did. With star trek but i think you'll find the most accessible and entertaining films of a lot the first two he did third one i'll be interested to hear your thoughts when we get there
3: and i have to get to number one for that
1: that would be 11 and 12.
3: Oof. so i've got four more fil- uh, four more films until i get there
1: the next few films are based around star trek and a generation the tv show there so uh again you do have a cohort of people, me included, and probably this is the TV show I really fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And I think the superior Star Trek TV series to any of the others that have been made, i take. Um, so, I mean, there is still an element there of here is just crew of people that, you know, their fans adore and, you know, um, people uh, enjoy spending time with. Some of these films are okay. Um, I'll be interested to see what you think of when we get there. But we, yeah, are, we are pushing our timer. We were good last week. Um, and I just want to make sure that we get back to the main show. So um, we can do a whole series on this. And if people enjoy this series, be sure to get in touch with this via the usual channels. Uh, you can tweet at me, at Evil Trap. You can jump onto the Facebook page to the podcast. Let us know because there are conversations. There are conversations at high levels with, you know, high-level people who have, have been requesting that we do go on and do other things after this. If you'd like to see this as a regular segment, get in touch, let us know what you like and we can make that happen potentially. If our schedules line up, we are busy people, you know. We're Hollywood calls. Um, so with that said, thank you for joining us again, Michelle. Thank you for your patience.
3: Thank you, Travis.
1: Nanu nanu and back to you Spearsy.
0: Nanu, Nanu, I
2: approve.
1: <laughs> um, she didn't like it. She didn't like six. But um, thing,
0: I love when she doesn't like it because it's like watching a surgeon just go in and just just do fine fine needlework and just that, that little bit it just she dissects them so wonderfully
1: she does eviscerate a film very well when she doesn't like it and you sort of sit there and go oh you've got a point actually um (laughs) she uses logic damn it (laughs) and i actually liked it i always liked star trek six and um i watched it again this way but it was i didn't think it was that bad but you kind of look at it through the eyes of someone who as she noted doesn't have that Mm. deep abiding connection to those characters that you know Mm. i do and i think you do to a degree um You know, you can sort of see through their eyes and go, well, yeah, if you take out the fact that it's bloody Kirk and Spock and you think they're fucking awesome and you grew up loving them. Yeah. All of a sudden you go, well, yeah, maybe it is a bit dry. But I tell <laughs> you know what, Christopher Plummer in that film just fucking chews the scenery. Yeah, he's so good. I love Christopher Plummer and everything he's done. And I just love the, the Cold War allegories and they're like, "Don't wait for the translation. You know, um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of mm-hmm. cool as a trick to see Michael Dawn playing his own mm-hmm. character's
2: grandfather.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's so nice a nice little social. touch there. Uh, I don't think it's going to get any better for for Michelle. Unfortunately, I don't. I'm not a massive fan of Star Trek Generations.
0: Yeah, Generations is a tough one. I mean, it, even with Michael McDowell in there, um, it's it's not great. If they it's they really not going
1: to jam that 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 handover into. The film, you know, that Yeah, you know, the yeah, yeah, no, Picard yeah. crossover and they're just like, This is what we need this, and we build the film around it. And
2: mm.
0: it what's gonna really... be really interesting. I mean, the the next generation movie that always I always think of as being really good was First Contact. Yeah, yeah, I like but so much of that backstory of Picard and the, the book and ball. It's like, oh it's the T V
1: show. I'm going to be interested in that one because I think it's a good film and I think it's mm. entertaining. I think it's the best of a next gen.
2: Mm. The only
1: good, the only remotely good next gen film. Um, yeah, it's not hard
0: to... get to. Not, hard,
1: not a lot of competition. But, yeah. you know, m- without having ever seen the episode of Star Trek next gen or any of the Star Trek TV series, we have a Borg in it. I mean, you know, yeah. I don't think the film does it from memory. I don't think it spends a whole lot of time telling us what a Borg is mm. or anything like that. So... Yeah, um, really So um, that will be interesting to see. Anyway, Mm. that's Star Trek for this week.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, Travis, you have been taken off on a ride across a rainbow bridge to a land of love and thunder. Tell me about Thor.
1: Thor Love and Thunder. So I went to see this on Saturday afternoon. Mm
2: -hmm. And I
1: think my post on Facebook said it all. This is a perfectly cromulent film.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, It's... It's fine. Mm, I feel like mm. I'm channeling you now. <laughs> like you've been saying this, about Marvel for a long time, but like it really is just, it's okay. <laughs> um, I think it's fair to say lightning hasn't struck twice because I thought Ragnarok was spectacularly fun.
2: Mm-hmm, and we sort
1: of been our, our reference point for a long time about how hey, it's a buddy cop film mm-hmm. in the Marvel universe. And isn't that, isn't that genius, right? It's, it's yeah. 48 hours meets Thor. Yep. I um Filtered through Planet Hulk, um, and yeah. you know, it was is, 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 is perfect for it. You know, and like he didn't—he was nobody really. Well, not nobody. I mean, he'd done Hunt for the Wilder people, but he wasn't who he is now. Yeah, now he's an Academy Award winner. He's got a Star Wars series apparently coming his way. <laughs> who doesn't at this? I mean, everybody, point? every man, these dogs had one. The guys from it's been offered
0: one, I just turned it
1: down. <laughs> Ryan Johnson had one. It was the guys from uh, Game of Thrones had one. We don't say their names, they, they they have been ostracized. I don't even know who they are, but like they had one of them, they got cancelled. I think Ryan Johnson's one got cancelled. Um anyway, so the funny story is going around, but apparently he asked Natalie Portman if she wanted to be in a Star Wars film during the filming of this and didn't realize she'd been in three already. Um <laughs> but you know, that that just says something that maybe maybe Tanka avoided the trauma that the rest of us had by yeah. <laughs> not seeing that load of shite that was the previous so, Four enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex girlfriend, Jane Foster, to fight Gore, the god butcher who intends to make the gods extinct. Excuse me. Hey. Um, this is again directed and written by Taika Waititi, along with uh, written as well with Jennifer Caton Robinson. Yes, um, I sort of nerd with Chris Hemsworth back at Four, with Natalie Portman back for the payday, aka playing Jane Foster again. Uh, the big addition here is Christian Bale as Gore the God Butcher mm-hmm. we meet him in the opening scene of the film in a desert where his daughter dies of exposure slash thirst while Gore is begging the gods for help mm-hmm. he encounters shortly after this an oasis in the middle of the desert which is inhabited by a number of gods who are kicking back doing god shit I don't know um, you know, ignoring prayers from children with cancer or something, uh, or whatever it is that it God's do for kids these days. Oh, I don't know. God's
0: they're just sent sending
1: out letters with uh, I'll be trying to get in touch with you about your car's extended warranty. Um, or just maybe a bit behind the, the joke
0: is even better because the pen ran out before thoughts, thoughts,
1: and-, and-, <laughs> put. <Yeah. laughs> thoughts and put um <laughs> the gods are really dismissive of him and belittling and you know just happens to be a sword lying around it the Necro sword which he manages to get a hold of and kills the gods in attendance you know what? that is the
0: that is the single biggest killer of anyone is having your your fucking kryptonite right there
1: on the floor it's just there. just have a Necro sword hanging around and you <laughs> start to be a, shit, a shit you know, to the deaths, guys
0: that's how you get god deaths
1: and that holding the sword, apparently the sword has powers or something that turns him mm-hmm. into Gore, the God Butcher, and he can. His goal is to destroy all gods for, for revenge for having you know, ignored his prayers to save his daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kicker being that uh, the, the sword is almost infects him and he becomes weaker every time the longer he holds onto the sword. That we didn't have a sword. That's basically the source of all his power. Yada yada yada. Okay, Christian Bale. You know, some of those things where you see a guy like going mm. really hard, going really for in a in a in a film that they're way too good for. Like,
2: <laughs> you know, like they're like
1: like a really fucking great performance by a guy just really doing his absolute yeah. It's probably the acting game surrounded by people doing paint by numbers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's that's his film because Christian Bale is fucking incredible in it. He's uh, and he's not in it anywhere near enough. Mm. Like, go the God Butcher could have been their best um villain since Thanos maybe. Uh yeah. you know or at least you know new villain not including the green goblin from Spider-Man cuz yeah, we we mm. had him. Um but he just didn't spend a lot of time with him, you know. Mm, like, he's, he's there, he's a he's an antagonist. He does what needs to be done to get the story moving
2: mm. you're
1: like wow he's so good in his christian bale he's mm. such a fucking great actor and he's actually genuinely kind of menacing and cool and it kind of go a little bit a thing it had with fanos where you go hmm fanos has a point um where but what made fanos so excellent was the fact you're like he's not just you know like winging Bly, mustache <laughs> Oh, i'm so evil he's like he's actually got a a point and you're like he's actually he thinks he's He's coming from a point where he thinks he's in the right. Mm. Um, so that's kind of what he had a little bit here, and we just don't see enough of him. Also, that intro was awfully brief. Like, it's 10 minutes. and okay. like, kind of like I, I get it. Like, he does enough to tell me who he is and why he wants to do what he He, he does set up his motivation. But it's, it's quick. Um, mm. And I'm always critical of films that, go for too long and this was an hour 58 it could have done it with an extra 10 minutes in this one to go tell me a little bit more about who he is yeah uh, or at the very least why he gives a shit about thor because it's very very thin mm. uh he goes around killing gods including you know at one point cutting off lady sif's arm uh and you know in saving her thor finds out that um She's coming to him next. That's so where Gore's coming to New Asgard next to try and kill him. Exactly. So that's one sort of angle we're going here. The other angle here is that Natalie Paul McKenna plays, in shock to no one, she is the mighty Thor in this film. She is actually suffering from cancer, we find out in this film, and visits New Asgard to try and see if, you know, their special Asgardian technology can help her cure her cancer. And in visiting it. um New Asgard finds it. She has now been deemed worthy by Mjolnir to wield Mjolnir. It okay. reassembles itself into a full hammer because that's a thing. It can happen now. Yeah, um, and she <laughs> saw that on my camera as well. Um, <laughs> the, she becomes the Mighty Thor, so she's now a Thor as well, who goes around doing Thor shit in you know Thor armor <laughs> and. beating the shit out of monsters and stuff like that um so we we catch up with thor hanging out for guardians of the galaxy again Mm -hmm. which i thought was an interesting element they left the film with at um the last time we saw them all together we said
2: okay and Mm
1: -hmm. it's over in five minutes they got they're gone in during one scene and the guardians are gone okay which Smidge and disappointing. I guess it's a, a lot to expect from a Thor film to have kept the Guardians around when we know we've got another film coming up with um, James Gunn. But yeah, kind of a waste, you know, a lot of talent yeah. to basically do nothing with them. Mm. Um, so yeah. Thor finds out that Jane Foster is now a Thor, and while they're defending New Asgard from shadow monsters that um, Gore has introduced to try and distract him um okay and in the process kidnaps all the children of asgard so it was interesting you were talking about sea beast earlier uh how it was very kitty friendly i mm. found parts of this quite just distu- I, well, I don't have kids i'm not a kid but i like some of this would be a bit scary for kids i reckon like okay. kidnapping children and they, they kept it a big claw casing um so, like a
0: child catcher from chitty chitty bang bang
1: a little bit but a little bit more disturbing yeah,
0: well, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was, that was an interesting. Uh, it's, um, mm. That was a bit like, oh, it's a bit hardcore for you, Tyker. Mm. Then the story sort of meanders on. They go to a god planet where all the gods hang out to try and raise an army to go and fight Gore to get the children of that New Asgard back. Okay. That is, they um, just all the gods hang out on this big planet, um, including Zeus, who is kind of the biggest god of them all, played mm-hmm. by Russell Crowe, doing, I think probably the worst accent of Russell Crowe's career, and there's been a few.
0: Yes, I have. Okay.
1: <laughs> um, and it's interesting. Apparently, it was I read today that they filmed his scenes twice, doing two accents. Um, the accent that's in the film and a yep. British accent. The people are used to hearing God speak with British accents, along with Nazis apparently, uh, and space <laughs>
0: Nazis. You know, we're either saviors or we kill them all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, por keno los dos. Um, <laughs> but um, he does a weird Greek accent. It's sort of like okay. you kind of expect, if, like you know, if I was doing my fully sick walk boy accent, you know. Gets my uh, V6 out, the good of the kebab story. Um, yeah, it no. not, it's not a world away from that, you know. Oh. Um, and I don't know what was going on with that. That's Apparently Tiger thought it was hilarious and they liked it, so they kept it. There's also stuff I've seen around going, are you still allowed to do accents as a joke? Um, and, you know, apparently that's faux pas now. You can't do accents as a, as, as, as a as comedy oh. now. Which... Um, Yes, I guess I kind of knew that because we're so sensitive about these things now, don't I? Like, but, like, who are we not allowed? Is it still, you know? Like, I,
0: they I still think that the, the day that the British can't do a a Nazi or a German accent when they're portraying someone from the Gestapo, it's uh, that's the dark day.
1: Uh, it's or a French accent, like an outrageous French accent. I <laughs> shall <laughs> taunt you once more. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's at you, sir. <laughs> Your father was a hamster and your mother a livers. Um. Anyway, um, it's not a good accent. I found myself pulled right out of a film, it. I'm like, uh, I know you're doing it for laughs, but mm. it's a bit shit.
2: Yeah. Uh,
1: and that kind of a, the third act of the film is all a bit shit. So they don't get any gods to come help them. They end mm-hmm. up, you know, going to New, going to fight uh, Gore, just to, you know, uh, Natalie Portman, so Jane. Thor and Valkyrie and Korg Korg's in way too much yeah Korg was really kind of amusing in Ragnarok he's mm-hmm. in very small doses mm-hmm. uh, this time it's just it's just too much of a good thing mm. he's like he's, 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 a, he's comic relief right that's mm-hmm. what Korg is he's yeah. not leading cast you know and um, and so his, his material wasn't as good this time either. Hmm. And, you know, yada, yada. But now this time, if they get to the center of the universe to stop the thing that does the thing that opens the MacGuffin that will, you know, kill every kill the universe and
2: mm-hmm.
1: rinse and repeat, you, you've kind of... No, it's Eternity. Eternity is the MacGuffin. They go to the center of the universe to... Apparently Stormbreaker now is a thing that will open the door to Eternity, which is... A, like a genie or something? I don't know. But that's, that's really
0: just... convenient, considering Stormbreaker didn't exist up until... I mean, like, this This must be, what, maximum 10 years after Endgame happened? So, wow. Th- there was something that already existed that this just happened to be the, the key the, the
1: tool for? tool for, yes, apparently so. I this is very facetious. This is all... Entertaining enough? I wasn't bored. It's like the one the good thing about the hour 58 runtime, it's in and out, it does what it needs to do, and it's it's over, right? As opposed mm-hmm. to say the Batman, which just spent way too long telling a rather unsubstantial story for me, or you know, a lot of other films like Matt, Matt uh, Doctor Strange was too long as well. Mm-hmm. Um It's fine. It's just fine. But like, they kind of set the bar real high with Ragnarok, and they didn't get anywhere near it this time. Mm. It's played too broadly as a comedy.
2: Mm.
1: Um, I didn't feel like there are any stakes in this film. I mean, not enough. I think you need to play a little bit more often for straight bat. Mm. Um,
0: I've heard this described as the Marvel's first rom com. Do you
2: agree? Yeah.
1: I didn't get rom-com vibes. It certainly wasn't in my head when there were gags. So like one of the gags is that is that Thor is really jealous about the fact that Natalie Portman is now wheeling Mjolnir. And
3: mm. he's always
1: trying to coax Mjolnir to come back to him. Mm. Um and it's almost played off as like he's all and like then turns around and then Stormbreaker will be like, Oh yes, yeah, so there you are, Stormbreaker. Just talking to the ex, blah blah And Like almost like Mjolnir and Stormbreaker are, it's like he's Mione is his ex-girlfriend and Stormbreaker's his new girlfriend and you know that's they kind of played off in they're kind of anthropomorphized in that way. Okay. And like so Stormbreaker's almost the jealous new girlfriend of the ex and that's okay. play for gags. And I'm like, Okay, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just, I just you know, like I guess I came back to it again. Like Christian Bale was great in his the rest of them, like I said, they really seem to be going through the motions. It wasn't terrible. Parts of it were funny. It had a few laughs. I mean, is a a funny guy. Mm. Um, They're going to do another one. It says in the final credits, you know, uh, Thor will be back again. So it's interesting. He's the only, really, the one of the originals who's hanging around. Um, Yeah. uh, So it's interesting to see how they integrate him into whatever it is they decide to do next.
0: Hey, you're Um, forgetting about Hawkeye.
1: I think he kind of finished up. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and, and Bruce Banner?
1: Yeah, true, I guess. Um, but, you know... He's
0: going he's to appear in the, the
1: She-Hulk show. I see me handing it over to her in that, but we'll see. Well, well, but again, that's kind of what I thought happened in, in Hawkeye. Um, but
2: yeah.
1: This actually leads me on i I'll try and make this a quick point. It's been said mm. a few different places now. But it's certainly referred to the Cam was going through my head when I was walking out of this and having it sort of think about how I felt about it is we are now, I think it's like almost 50 hours of content Mm -hmm. into stage So phase four. Phase four. So, which is like more than like, I think it's pretty much all phase one, two, and three combined. Mm -hmm. Yep. Because of all the TV shows and the movies and stuff. And they just, I don't know where they're going with this. They're Mm -hmm. just meandering along this is almost a standalone, this is very much a standalone film.
2: Mm-hmm. This
1: doesn't reference Kang. It doesn't reference the multiverse. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reference whatever that fucking thing was at the end of The Eternals. It doesn't reference The Eternals. It doesn't mm-hmm. reference Harry Styles' character at the end of The Eternals. The Eternals whatever the fuck he was doing. Like, uh, There's no reference to, like, hey, Bishop. You know okay. I mean, we don't. What the hell is she doing? Don't know. What's Florence Pugh doing? Don't know. You know, like... <laughs> What's going on? What are you doing? They've got mm. all these little threads going off and doing different things. And like I don't know what this is bit planning on doing. I mean, I feel like people keep going, oh, no, they're setting it up. They're setting another, up. We've got to set up all these new characters. You're being impatient. They've got to set it up. And you're like, it's 50 hours to set it up. It's fantastic. You know, it's only three years. But that's, it's, it's a lot of content over a short period of time. And without any kind of guiding kind of vibe about what they're actually working towards, um, it's getting kind of boring. All of it like it felt like Doctor Strange, it was kind of a standalone film in the end, right? I mean, it talked about the multiverse, didn't end up doing very much with it. Yes, yep. we introduced America, who'll probably be doing something else in the future, but okay. Spider-Man reset everything for Spider-Man, so we're gonna to, to basically start with a clean state with that character. Shang Chi, mm-hmm. very much a standalone story. Yep. Uh, I don't know
0: well, what's. It does with... have that post-credits bit of the the Ten Rings sending out a beacon. The beacon
1: thing, but like we haven't talked about that again.
2: Yeah. There's been a lot of it TV. Feels,
0: it feels like the connective tissue they should have had. Like what what gelled everything together to begin with was the fact that um, Nick Fury appeared in. So many of the individual movies, just you know, at the end of Iron Man, I am Iron Man, and it's like, oh, Captain America, you've been you've been asleep for a long time, and all of that stuff, and even Tony Stark appearing in the end of uh, Incredible Hulk and things like that. It feels like, for even though she was an entirely uninspiring, boring character, having Captain Marvel turn up in all of these scenarios, being the connective tissue would have made more sense. If they're going cosmic, why not use the one that they've already fucking introduced?
1: I guess the point, like I said, people can go, oh, we're just setting it up. they are just setting it up. That's what they did in the first film. In, the first, in phase one, yes, we did know Thanos was the big bad guy. But mm. what they were working towards, we knew what they were working towards in those connecting those films. You're mm. right. Nick Fury type, we go, we go, ah, we know where this ends. It's going to be an Avengers movie. You're going to put the Avengers together mm-hmm. at the end of this phase, because that's what those connective tissues was. We didn't Mm -hmm. need to know that there was a villain per se, or what the Mm -hmm. villain was. We need to know that they were doing something. Yeah. So like maybe this time if they're setting up, they should have been connecting the films, going, they're gonna cause create some new version of Avengers, you know? Mm -hmm. As you said, maybe Captain Marvel keeps turning up and going, Hey man, like your style. Come back with me. We'll do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. There are two post credit scenes you thought. One that introduces um, a new character. Um, I, a, I don't know if you want to, uh, spoilers if you don't, I've spoiled so much of it already. Whatever, <laughs> you introduce the character of what? Hercules. Who I don't know anything about the character of Hercules in comic books. <laughs> He's played by the guy from um, what was that show, a soccer show? Um, the one of the pretty, the American guy, the soccer coach. Oh, uh,
0: Ted
2: Laszlo,
1: yeah, that's it. Sorry, I can't believe I forgot the name. So the the, the, soccer, the the captain of the soccer club, was it Brett Goldstein?
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I can't think of it. Yet. Anyway, he's the, the guy from Ted Lasso is going to play Hercules. And you're like, uh, okay, that's interesting. I mean, he's a fine actor, I'm sure. Um, yeah, Brett Goldstein. And like, so I guess because it's the only thing I've ever seen him in. Mm. He's a really surly soccer player in Ted Lasso. And you're like, okay, and now you're going to be Superhero. I don't know, but I, I don't know anything about the character. Maybe it'll be cool. None of that connects to anything else that's happened in anything mm. else in this phase of of, of Marvel. Yeah. So I don't know if I believe. I mean, they you know. there's like they had a story where, oh, Kevin Farky has all these ideas and things setting up. The fact we're just meandering along with no connective tissue is is annoying, and mm. it means nothing matters. It feels like nothing matters as much mm. as they could. That means you've got these standalone films which are. So they're fine, entertaining enough. Yeah. But they follow those um those that strict Marvel formula. And you know, uh, uh, you need maybe that you need some new material, guys. Like yeah. me excited about what's coming.
0: And the the other thing about this this phase is yeah, we've we've been introduced to a lot of new heroes, and we're being introduced to the new generation of old heroes as hawkeye to hawk girl or whatever they end up calling her, black like widow changeover all of that stuff um you know uh anthony mackie taking on the captain america mantle but then you look at it and so sort of like okay so this the, kevin feige's come out and said that this is so like introducing the cosmic element how how are those characters gonna do anything in the cosmic universe when all that we've seen, every single time we've seen Hawkeye in a movie or a TV show, he's made a joke of, but also been genuinely serious and been the audience saying, "Well, what am I going to do? I shoot a, I shoot a bow and arrow." Like, yes, yeah, they're literally talking about gods. That's all they're talking about now: bow and arrow versus a god. Come on, How, I, I, you can't see them all gelling together in one. Avengers Assemble kind of thing. It's like, all right, it's, you're just filling the world with heroes now. Okay, why should I care?
1: It's just, yeah, I'm. I it. What really propelled it along mm. through with the fact that obviously the films were, were good, but mm. also you know it was exciting having that link in between the films. And mm. No one had done that before, mm-hmm. and you know uh, it, once they did that, you're like, I mean, the Avengers was awesome. Yeah, and they kept doing it. I I think they, I think these films need that. I think they need to. We all know they're part of a bigger Mm hole, and we need to have an idea about what that hole is. And when you Mm keep throwing shit at the wall, you have been so far, Mm a making it super hard to tie those loose ends
2: up. B
1: is kind of confusing me. Like, come on, like yeah, 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 I want to see Kang. What? what Why so? What? He's a bad guy, apparently. You didn't see much of him in Loki. Nope. Show me what he can do. Yep. He's that like, big oh, the... thing in Eternals. He looked pretty badass. Show mm-hmm. me what he can do. They're like, oh,
0: the 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 sacred timeline has been fractured. Cool. Show me it. Oh, you're not going to actually show me the multiverse of madness. You're just going to show me four that are kind of normal.
1: Okay. Anyway, so I try and keep it brief, but mm-hmm. I think that's becoming problematic now. Yeah. There are apparently four more TV shows to come out this year. I think I have read. So you know, I don't think you want to be introducing whatever your your big bad is, your real your big pl- your big you know twist for, for mm-hmm. phase four in a TV show. I don't mm-hmm. think there are any other movies. In Black Panther maybe this year, I think, but like um, I'm not sure if there are any other films this year. So it's a mm-hmm. it's a bit messy. Mm. Messi
0: Marvel yeah. better- Just sticking on that Marvel side caught haven't watched today's episode, but I have caught up with Miss Marvel and again, messy. they they finally got around to in- seemingly introducing the bad guys. They got arrested. they broke out. and now they've just stopped. And we've reached a point where they've done the typical thing of every anime that's ever happened, ever, where, ah, we're in the middle of a fight sequence, so let's do a flashback episode. Oh, great. And it actually goes back to a genuinely interesting point of time when India got broken up by the British Empire for the good of the people. And it is a legitimately interesting, harrowing point in time. And the story, the connective story of this Pakistani family having their their, their roots just ripped apart and destroyed because of fucking English people. Never trust an English pe- person, ladies and gentlemen. They're all assholes. It's genuinely rich with so much potential. And we've seen it coming into popular culture a little bit more like they had a bit of a story arc for it in um Jodie Whittaker's run of Doctor Who and now this and it's starting to come into a bit of zeitgeist and hopefully there'll be something that actually really sinks its teeth into it and gives it serious genuine time because it's it's a really fucking good and fucked up narrative device um this kind of brushes it to the very very basics of like oh my god this this is supposed to be showing us a part of culture that we haven't seen or rarely are seen in in tv and cinema and you're you're downplaying it as much as you are this is fucked up and then it snaps back to back to reality oh there goes gravity the bad guys give up and it's like, but we're not at the end of the show. And I don't care about any of these characters. And you are very clearly making it that you don't care if I don't care. It's it's a mess. I don't understand what's going on with it. I genuinely don't. The pacing of this of this show is abysmal. While I applaud it for representation and trying to bring an interesting new voice to it, which would be good. The actress who plays Kamala Khan, she is overall likable. Most of the characters are overall likable. But the story that they're telling, I don't give a fuck about, because it's not telling me a story. There's, there's no stakes, there's no risk or anything. It, it, it's not even the sort of thing where they're trying to do, so like, oh, young lovers spurned, or so like, oh, it's so hard growing up as a a, a young Pakistani girl in New Jersey. Is like, not really. I mean, there's there's a little bit of school problems, but they're not really the highlight. They're not making it particularly the focal point or anything like that. So, all right, I don't care about that. Show me the villains. Oh, you're not going to show me villains for three episodes? Oh, okay, sure. It's 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 a mess. It's a
1: wandering mess. Should we crack on and talk about a good superhero TV show?
0: Yes. Let us talk about the boys.
1: Let's try and keep it nitro. We're pushing time here, but mm-hmm. I got to finish season three. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's as good as season two, but it's still pretty fucking good. It's still it mm-hmm. that and you know, probably the best live action superhero TV show um yep. going around at the moment and they just take chances. Yeah. yeah. They just do stuff. This is what this is where I think you know maybe Marvel could learn some lessons is that you play it safe for a really long time and you get laid a lot of money with that. And I guess they still are like Thor had a huge opening this weekend. So I guess mm. they're probably good. But like when the good times run out I think they're gonna need to take some chances because that's what the boys does here. Yeah. Um, I felt like it lent more into its characters this time, rather than just goring people out. Though, there was a couple of moments we talked about the last time we talked about the boys, especially mm-hmm. early on in the season where there some pretty gruesome things happen. Yeah, But I think as the season goes on, it becomes more about character than mm-hmm. it does about those mm-hmm. gross-out, shocking moments. So there were still a couple of them mm-hmm. there. Um, the only thing I would say that I didn't like about it, so slight spoiler here. Mm-hmm for people who haven't watched it. So I'm going to spoil the section. In the last couple of episodes, we we catch up again with Noir. So halfway through the season, mm-hmm. Noir pulls his tracker out of his arm, in a great scene actually, Yeah, uh, <laughs> and hands it to someone in the elevator and disappears because Soldier Boy is after him. Mm-hmm. So Soldier Boy had him being thought out, a la Captain America, beautifully, um, by the boys. He's now being utilised by them to try and kill Homelander. Uh, Noir, having formerly been a member of his team, which actually who actually caused mm. soldier boy to be captured and frozen, he knows he's going to come after him, so he goes mm. into hiding. We catch up mm. with him later in the season when he's in hiding, and there's this whole secret of him being like a like an old Chuck E. Cheese restaurant or at school or something. Uh, yeah. And there's all these animated characters that are on the walls of his school come to life yeah. And have conversations with him and like, 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 oh, we're your best friends. We got you through everything. We'll get you through this one. You've got to go and confront Soldier Boy. And you're like, yeah. wow, this is interesting because Noir is a character we haven't spent a lot of time on.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
0: he's kind
1: of like the Batman character, I guess. Um, he's
0: like, he seemed, he, he's he been presented at the very least as the one that everyone is scared of.
1: He's kind of a, it indicated he's kind of a badass, but... You know, he doesn't he doesn't speak so I guess that's probably why we haven't spent a lot of time with him and maybe his characters were built or interested in the story to give us give him a voice or mm. tell us a little bit about him and like mm. oh this is really interesting stuff this is actually a really interesting introduction to his character in a way which we should be we haven't done a lot with other mm. uh, than stand around and look like a badass and then in the next episode they just kill him
2: mm-hmm.
1: which I mean. I guess kind of had to happen. I'm not overly surprised from a story perspective because Homelander is kind of losing his shit and killing everyone. Mm. But why do we spend all this time with him and his cool introduction sequence, reintroduction to him, or whatever you want to call it? Mm. With his interesting angle with all the animated characters, and you just kill him off in the next episode.
0: I guess it's that sort of like narrative device of no one's safe and um, you think you might be getting to know someone, that doesn't mean that they're gonna survive. And I generally kind of agree with that, um, but it's disappointing because it was really good character work um, on, a, on a narrative level. And I, the, for, for me, the, the bit that grated me was the revelation of Soldier Boy being Homelander's dad. I thought yeah okay and they they played with it a little bit in in the in the story of it but they didn't go quite where i was expecting them to and it seems to have kind of been brushed under the side and homeland is still just doing his thing and the the revelations of that and the the fallout of it all and the way that the homelander versus soldier boy versus butcher fight rolled out so i like mm, yeah i saw that coming which generally i've not been able to say about the boys so it's a little disappointing but still great and it was still satisfying that's the thing
2: we've been and, a
1: little hypercritical here because they just yeah anything i would say i don't know what you thought about this is that I talked about earlier in the season, they like, just so just done away with any pretense about who their characters are now. Homelander is so Trump.
2: It's mm-hmm. just
1: sp- almost overkill. Yeah. Like it's almost too obvious. Yeah. It's like in, um, picture of a skull in wonder woman, 84, where is like, he was mm-hmm. so obviously doing a Trump impersonation, a bad one. Um, <laughs> And you're like, you know, there's the, the we talked about, I think last time we talked about said, the, the Taco Bowls, we get the best Taco Bowls in the Tower. Mm. That's actually a Trump quote. The mm. final scene of the, the series is a direct reference to, you know, Trump talk, if I shot someone at Fifth Avenue, I wouldn't lose any votes. Mm. Um, again, these are picking very, very tiny little things to pick at.
0: I would also like to highlight and just explain what, we both agree of Marvel taking more risks um, and using the boys as an example of that, not by saying, oh, Marvel needs to go blood and guts, violence and all of that stuff, but it's that narrative taking risks and doing something unexpected. They don't have to suddenly go R-rated or anything like that. That doesn't guarantee that things are going to change for them. It's just that element of taking risk in a story basis. And I think that... This has been the safest story-wise that The Boys has been over the three seasons so far. And they can get away with it because they've been fucking pushing boundaries all the time. And they are still doing a really good balance of social commentary, uh, uh, parody and satire of the mediums that they are utilizing. It's great. Like, I loved and cringed at the, (laughs) the medley of Imagine... When they got all of this, yeah, yeah, stuff. it was so fucking
1: bad. It was great. <laughs> it, it, it's it's so up with pop culture. It's it's mm. actually a really nice mm. feature of it. Um, so like, I mean, it's still like I said, it's still fucking incredible. I yeah. uh, I think it's it almost kind of in some ways reminds me of Breaking Bad, mm. only in a sense that like I'm so invested in this universe, mm. in this story. I care so much about these characters. I almost find being around it for an hour exhausting because mm. of, that, of that constant threat Yeah, that, that yeah. Homeland that presents.
2: Yeah,
0: 100%. 100%. Shall we uh, quickly just talk a little bit about the terminal list?
1: Sure. Um, so I sort of leave this to the last one because, in a way, this might be my highlight of the week, uh, other than the boys, which is great. Um, the terminalist is a new TV limited series, I guess you called it, going a TV mm. series limited series. Um, there are eight, eight episodes, and it's on Amazon Prime. Mm. Uh, and this stars, as you said, Chris Pratt. And I was very reluctant about this to begin with because I look at the poster, mm. right? The yeah. poster looks like crap.
2: The, um, the trailer well.
1: looks like crap. It looks like you know, I, I it instantly gives me vibes of a tomorrow war. From was that yeah, last year or was it this year? I can't yeah. even remember. That was a fucking terrible movie. Terrible movie. Um, and whoever financed that was so lucky that <laughs> Prime got suckered into buying it. And, you know, Chris Pratt, the lust has gone off Chris Pratt a little bit. Uh, you know, Jurassic World Dominion apparently sucked. Um, I, I'm Venice. I, haven't seen, I haven't seen any of the new Jurassic Park films. I don't need to. Um, they don't interest me, oh, but Michelle,
0: um, you need to do uh um, the Jurassic Park movies for Travis.
1: I like the originals. Oh, well, I like the original, they, they haven't made a good one since 1993, <laughs> so it's been 30 years, but they keep trying. And of course, there's all that fuss about um uh, I guess him being a member of a particularly yeah. uh a controversial religious group, which mm-hmm. I haven't really gone out a rabbit hole enough to have an opinion on. Mm. But, this is the thing. This show is actually really fucking good. Like, really, really good. Like, I thought I was... Episode, but yeah. Uh, sorry? I've only watched the first episode so far,
0: but I agree with you.
1: So I, three episodes in, I was expecting your typical American military dross. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Zero Dark Thirty meets, you know, Jack Reacher kind of thing. Yeah. I haven't seen the Reacher series. I mean, the, the Tom Cruise movie. Was it movie or movies? I can't remember. Uh, movies um, and a TV show. I haven't seen the TV show. But, um, you know, so the plot of um, a former Navy SEAL officer investigates why his entire platoon was ambushed during a high-stakes covert mission. You kind of read that and you kind of expect it to be your usual, typical American mm. military, you know, traitors and conspiracy twaddle. Yeah. You know, shadowy people having meetings in car parks and stuff like that. Mm. I not agree that's there. But every time you think this film's going to pivot left, it pivots right. Yeah. The only real, the, the first 10, 15 minutes is a the a, a SEAL team has a, ra- a raid in Syria on the compound where they think a high-value terrorist target is hiding out. Mm-hmm. The platoonist that uh, Synopsis said was ambushed. There are only two survivors initially, um, Chris Pratt and one other person who dies via suicide shortly afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris Pratt gets a pretty nasty concussion in the process. Mm-hmm. And what's really cool is there's a lot of really funny stuff going on in the film, mm-hmm. and you're not really sure. And Chris for example... Is, is a post-action interview with um I don't know people. <laughs> do you do post-action and interviews. Students. That's and all students. you need to know. Of a, a, a jag call? I don't even know who these people are. You know officials who are like interviewing about what really happened because you know who did what. And, you know this mm-hmm. person. There was an explosion. It went off. Was that the you know? Was that your local contact or was that a member of your team? Mm-hmm. Um And there's uh, they play a bunch of audio back to Chris Pratt and Chris Pratt's like. I didn't say that. None of that stuff. I never said any of that. And Mm. you're like, what the show does really nicely is like, did he say that? Yeah. And is he just fucked in the head? Yeah. Because, you know, we kind of, the show is really playing up that, like, he got a really nasty knock in the head and maybe he's, you know, he's not well in the head. Mm. So is this all happening in his head or is there some massive conspiracy going on? Um, like he thinks there is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they keep that going long enough that it really starts to get very, very interesting about where, whether this is really happening or not, which I don't want to say, I, I was thinking to myself watching episode three, don't, it's 1% of a Lynchian Twin Peaks element there. Mm. You know, a tiny little bit of it is a mystery there. Like, and you're like, okay, this mystery is actually kind of interesting. It's kind of actually well done. Yeah. Um, Chris Pratt plays, I guess, his character from Zero Dark 30. Really, he's just this is SEAL Team Seven, <laughs> that was SEAL Team Six, so you know it's seal, it's plus one, so it's one better, right? Um, oh, yeah. And he, I found myself a few times going, Did do special forces really know how to do this? I don't know because he knows how to do a lot of. shit. Like well but- apparently the book
0: that it's based on is written by an uh an X- a- team, team. right?
1: Yeah, save Sorry, him. Sorry, yeah. So look, I don't know how much of it's like actually po- possible, but mm-hmm. like you there's a he just picks locks and the spy shit and you know um uh, tortures people and stuff like that. You're like, Well, he's US military, so you know, um maybe. <laughs> um, but it's actually quite intriguing. So three episodes mm-hmm. in. I am fully hooked. I'm like, no, I'm in. I am in for this ride. I want to know what happens. Mm. And if this is, you know, is this all fucking happening or is it in his head? And mm. as we go along, we get more clues which answer those questions and I don't want to spoil it for you because I think you, you know, you'll you enjoy it if you stick at it.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: the cast, as I said, Chris Pratt does what he does as well. Um, I, you know, it's hard for us. Like, I've never been around guns much. Like, we're Australian mm. and, you know, you're an Australian slash British and they don't have guns there either, Indian. right? Not Australian. We're i not Australian.
0: I, I've played with Nerf guns, sir. <laughs>
1: well, that, 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 I'm sure that, that's a very legitimate experience. But, like, there's a like gunplay
2: this.
1: Gun. <laughs> lots of gunplay in this and lots of that kind of thing. you like, it just kind of feels really genuine.
3: It mm. feels real.
1: Like, what these people... Mm. people like a Navy SEAL would actually do with his weapons and how careful he is and the way mm. he handles them and the way yeah. he operates with a weapon and how, that kind of thing it actually feels real. And maybe it mm. has to do with the fact that the book was written by a Navy SEAL, that they've gone the extra mile. Um, mm. This is the second time, like I said, Chris Pratt's played a Navy SEAL. Um, you know, uh, it feels to me, and just, I just can't say why, but it feels le- legit. Like mm. uh, I, I feel like this feels like the kind of thing you'd expect from an ABCO in the way he behaves. Mm. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they've gone to the, gone really hard on him getting some actual proper training mm. from people who know what they're doing and that there's someone on set who's helping with that kind of expert um, advice about how he moves and how he holds a weapon and mm. et cetera.
0: It's not even the 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 movement of it, but it's how they talk about it. Like when he's trying when he's talking to Taylor Kitsch in the boat about um, uh, the the guy who commits suicide. suicide. Yeah, he's like has that that very frank conversation about. It. He wouldn't use a nine millimeter because he preferred this gun because he said this and that. And it's like very colloquial but factual and personal and it just added that level of authenticity. Authenticity to, it
1: does. Feels yeah. like the conversation two guys who are really into guns would have.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: Um and I feel less gross about them being really into guns. I feel people I do feel like I'm sorry I'm gonna completely put offside our of entire American audience if we had one. Um that like I feel like it's kind of gross when you hear people who aren't actual mm. who don't need to have massive guns collections talk about them or show them off like it's something to mm. be proud of. Like, yeah. But this is a guy, this is a tool that this guy uses for his job mm-hmm. in a way. So, well, not in a way, it is his job. He's a SEAL. You need to know how to use those sort of weapons. So it feels authentic and real at conversation mm-hmm. these people would have. You mentioned Taylor Kitsch. He plays, um, he calls him brother, but they use that word a lot. I'm assuming he's not an actual brother because he has a different surname. Mm. But he, he's a friend and comrade mm. of, of Chris Pratt's who sticks by him. Um, writer Keo plays his wife Lauren. Mm-hmm. Um, the Constance name Wu. may not, um, may not sound that familiar, but you'll sort of probably know her name, her, sorry, her face mm-hmm. because I've seen her in stuff, mm-hmm. um, including uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Um, mm-hmm. but the other big names here are Constance Wu, who plays journalist Katie Baranak, who's kind of working uh, alongside, um, mm-hmm. um. Chris Pratt's James Reese to try and uncover what's going on. Constance mm-hmm. Wu, um, probably best known for her role in Crazy Rich Asians as Rachel.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, this is a very, very, very different role yeah. to that one. And she's yeah. doing really well. Like mm-hmm. She's played a fairly standard love interest rom-com character in, in that film. We talked about it a little while ago. Mm-hmm. But she's kind of playing a hard-edge, hard-nosed, cynical journalist really nicely mm-hmm. here. Mm. Doing really well, uh, yeah. and the other face you'll recognize in here is um Gene Triplehorn, yeah, he plays, uh Secretary Harley, who is a politician whose role was a little murky in this whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, he flips in and out of a story. Apparently, Jay Courtney's in the film in, in a couple episodes as well, um, because Jake needs work, I suppose. He got killed in the first five <laughs> minutes of Suicide Squad. No, look, he was like, he needed more time in that film. <laughs> um, the, it looks amazing it, it feels I've sank real money into this mm-hmm. it looks good. Mm-hmm. The good the quality of performers they've got is a like really mm-hmm. talented uh, solid actors have got in it doing really good work so they've got great source material they've sank the kind of resources it required into it to make it look good mm-hmm. um, uh, I've been really, really pleasantly surprised
0: mm. yeah yeah, I look forward to um, watching some more of that now that uh, we've got the epic of me and Hill about me out their way. <laughs> Thank <God> for that, <sighs> that that's note, all I've got to say about that. Yeah, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, um, we're going to bring this episode to a close. Sorry that it's run um, started late and finished late, but um, you know sometimes you can't control everything, and I just sit behind a horse's ass
1: and just going,
2: the light is green. <sighs> Um you
1: got a long drive home. Only yeah. you only how long your drive was.
2: Good um, fun. Two
0: hours every day. That's exactly what I want. Yeah. <clears throat> next week we are going to talk about the guns of Navarone and a host of other bits and pieces. I will so pro- next
1: week won't be next week. Obviously, oh, week right. after. Unfortunately, you yes. can't yes. miss this next week. I'm moving house in the middle of next week and I can't predict where I'll be, whether there'll be internet. Mm-hmm. Will there be power? Will I have all my bits? Will it be lost? Don't know. So unfortunately, you you'll have to wait until the week after at least.
0: Yes. But um, when we do come back, it will be The Guns of Navarone. We will have um, Star Trek Generations. We will have a whole host of new bits and pieces to I'm talk I'm
1: interested about. That next week, I think, there's a new film popping up on Netflix, I think, called The Grey Man starring oh, yeah, Chris, Chris Evans, the, the new Russo Brothers film, and the uh Ryan Gosling as well. I'm pretty sure Chris Evans is in it, though. But yes, either yes. way, it's getting a bit of buzz around the place.
2: Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm.
1: that's next Friday, I think. Yeah. So we should have, hopefully, if if George has some time, a um, to, chance to actually, I have some time, and I have internet and power and yes. television, <laughs> uh, we should be able to talk about that, hopefully, the next time we are on the air. Yeah.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. We'll see you next time.
1: Good night.